Welcome to Heritage Fellowship's Sermon of the Week. We hope you're encouraged and challenged as we study the Word of God together. This special edition podcast comes from our annual Overflow Conference. For more information, please connect with us online at heritagefellowship.us slash overflow. It's uh, really great to be here for this experience together with the Lord. And uh, as we begin, Brother Dale has a vision that he would like to share before we continue. Dale? I went out on the uh, porch for uh, about 20 minutes to pray. And I thought I was going out to pray for Keith, or for myself, actually, and uh, ended up praying for Keith the whole time. And uh, my prayer began with a vision. And I believe this is the word of the Lord for us who are here this evening. So what what I saw in this vision was that Keith had brought us a gift. And it was in a a box, a perfectly square box in every dimension. And he was presenting this gift, especially to the staff and leaders tonight of this house. It was in a white box, and the lid was secured by a beautiful red bow. The edges of this bow was tied in a, as a bow at, ta- at the top, and it was uh, like a, about this wide. And the sides of the bow were like brocade, and it had silver thread through it, and the... <clears throat> It was sparkling. It was just sparkling as the light uh, shone upon it. And uh, it was a gift from the Father. It was like Keith has brought us a gift from the Father. And it was very precious. And on the outside of the box was a gift card. And it said, Handle with Care. So I lifted the lid of the box, and when I looked in, it, there was whatever was in it was wrapped in this white tissue paper, like you would wrap a gift and put it inside a box. And on the top of the box, on the top of the tissue paper, was a set of instructions. You know how when you get a gift for Christmas and it comes with a, instructions. And uh, to my surprise. As I lifted the paper to see what the gift was, I saw people. Inside this box were people. And some of those people you would recognize, you know. And some of those people you have not yet met. And uh, this is what the Lord said. These are priceless gifts from me. I am entrusting them to you to care for. They belong to me, but I have assigned them to you to nurture and encourage, to counsel and mentor. 
These, this is what he said, these are the people of yes. They are the surrendered ones. If you look carefully, you can see the lines dug into the soil behind them on their journey. They are left there by the crosses they carry. Listen carefully to the instructions tonight. Don't try to minister to this gift without using the instructions. My spirit and my word will guide you. So, Father, we thank you for the gift that Keith is going to deliver tonight, the instructions for this house, the the things that we need to know and digest and meditate on and apply in our lives as leaders, as members of the staff of this house, we thank you that when you give us gifts, you send instructions. Thank you for the people of yes, Lord. Let's remain attentive and sensitive to that vision, and I certainly am committed to do so. Our theme tonight is leading a culture of yes. That is, how do we as leaders establish and maintain a culture that cultivates yesness throughout people's response to God as God is speaking to them? So let's think in, our, in terms of being leaders and God giving us instructions of how to lead so that people are people of yes. First of all, what is leadership? I would suggest that Christian leadership is from the presence and posture of Christ, a person, a leader, influencing a people, a group, toward a purpose with a biblical paradigm or model of doing things. What we're looking at tonight is the biblical paradigm for leading people to yes. We're looking at what the scriptures show us of how to do so. We know in part and we speak in part, but let's share the part that we know. Secondly, what is culture? If we're leading culture, let's think of that next. So here's a, a portrayal of culture in the sense of four different dimensions to it. In the very center are assumptions or basic truths that we hold to be true. We understand this is true. And these assumptions would relate to establishing a culture of yes. In the next circle from that, we develop values. 
which are statements that of what is important about the way we go about leading or experiencing a culture. The third circle would then be norms or behaviors. This is the way you're supposed to act. Uh, these would be the guidelines of when you act or behave this way, it's consistent with the values because they're based on truths that we can fully rely on. And then finally, we have artifacts. Artifacts are something that's sensory or a symbol that represents what this culture is like. So for example, a t-shirt is a sensory object and everything we learn tonight we can associate with this symbol with yes. So every time we wear this t-shirt, it's reminding us of the norms, the values, and the assumptions by which we live. So when you go about changing culture from one dimension to another, you don't start by changing the t-shirt. Uh, people get upset. Hey, the t-shirts are not yes-like anymore. So if you're going to change culture, you have to go back and say, what do we believe that is foundational truth that will not change about the way we respond to God's counsel and direction and guidance to us? The culture of yes is somehow a response to something that's been presented to us. So we make those changes by going through the progression from the center outward. So these t-shirts and other products are symbols or artifacts to capture and communicate all that we're learning this weekend. So we've established that leadership, again, from the presence and posture of Christ, we're going to be leading people to be more yes-like in their responses to God's work and God's kingdom. We're going to do that by clarifying what is important about the way we live and respond. So let's look at some scriptural foundations and then at our tables, we're going to actually work at what are the values that guide us in a culture of yes. So you can be thinking about that. What is an important conviction that we can't compromise because we are yes people? Now that used to be a undesirable thing. Oh, he's just a yes man. We're going to be yes people. So, what kind of truths are foundational to us? In recent years, my whole sense of theology has become very much centered on the fellowship of the Godhead and the relationship of the Father, Son, and Spirit. We know from John 1, 1 and 2, in the beginning was the Word, 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning, was with God. And for those of you who have heard this before, you can help with this, but the word with here is the idea of prose, or being for, or being toward one another. We are for that other person. We're there to support and honor and uplift and build them up. So the relationship in the Trinity is one of continual honor and blessing of the other. God is other-oriented. So as God is other-oriented or for or toward, out of that relationship, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God, God being there, meaning more than two, Elohim, if you have I am at the end of a Hebrew word, it means plural. Elohim, more than two, said, let us make mankind in our image. So part of the image is having that sense of fellowship, that sense of being toward or honoring one another above oneself that sense of putting the other first, that sense of establishing value to the other. So if there's any sense of hierarchy in the Trinity, it's not because it's forced from the Father to the Son to the Spirit. It's because the Son is saying, Father, I lift you up. It's the Spirit saying, I want to show you what Jesus is like. So the spirit of honor and um, establishing a, a, the value of the other ahead of oneself. We see that throughout the whole scripture is the spirit of Christ. So the posture of Christ, in a biblical way, is going to be upholding the value of others. Out of this fellowship, of honor and blessing, we are called to, in his image to be the same toward one another. That was the original design. That was the plan. But it got broken through what we call the fall where people now have their own will versus God's will. So that creates a choice that creates conflict. We're either on God's side or the world's side. So we now have these choices to consider, and that creates a decision. Is the decision yes, or is the decision no? God created us to have that option to choose. So with this foundation, the heart of God is to honor and bless and say yes, to say I agree. In fact, as we'll look later in the weekend, prayer is discerning what God wants done and are on saying yes on earth.
one of the expressions that is foundational to our saying yes is Christ himself coming from the heavenly realm, coming out of that fellowship of the Father, Son, and the Spirit on the earth, demonstrating what it means to say yes. Our primary scripture is Matthew 26, 39. So let's honor that as part of our um, deliberations here tonight. Matthew 26. We know that in this setting, Jesus is in the garden, he's praying, and he, he basically is desiring friendship and companionship as he faces his own choice. He's not asking his disciples to help him make the choice, but as he's facing it, wouldn't it be nice to have somebody there that's supportive to you, that cares about what you're doing when you're faced with a yes or a no. Verse 39, he went a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Because Jesus was fully man and because Jesus the Christ was fully God, he is facing this as a man, but he's bringing to it his divinity and his relationship with the Father, which is to only do what pleases the Father. In other words, he is toward the Father. He's always been toward the Father. Father Father, Father, what can I do to honor you? Would be basically a way of saying it. So he's bringing that attitude. So if we see this more clearly, what we see here is it's not a struggle of between um, of being reluctant. It's not a struggle of being reluctant or of complying with what the Father wants done. It's not, he's not fighting whether he should do this or not. What he is doing is he is facing it with his humanity, seeing the awful, terrible extent of what this means. Notice he's encountering the full brunt of the broken world, of a sin-based sin world that he that the death requires and he brings to that then his desire to please the father nevertheless your will be done i hope we can get a hold of this a little differently than the typical yielding to the father versus not it wasn't that jesus did not want to do this what I'm trying to get at. Jesus was not facing this as if 
I don't want to do it. He's facing it, how horrible and terrible it is to bear the weight of this. But he brings it to say, nevertheless, your will be done. Now, there's a clue for us as leaders. We face these challenging situations. We see the difficulty. We experience the grief. We sense the pain. But because we are in the presence of Christ and embrace the posture of Christ, we can influence people toward God's purpose in their situation. In other words, it's not about our doing this ourselves, but with the spirit of Christ in us, we have that same desire, nevertheless, your will be done. The key here is the mystery that Paul discovered, that the key is Christ in us. That's the secret. Christ in us is the capacity to desire what God the Father desires, and to say yes. So we're not trying to say yes to look good. We're saying yes out of the nature of Christ. We're leading people to know that their yes is to be out of the nature of Christ, not simply because we say so. So managing culture is one of the primary responsibilities of a leader. Helping people to know what is true, to know how to live according to that, then they naturally can choose the behaviors that fit with those values. And the artifacts are there for us to celebrate it and communicate it. Leading culture and managing this is one of the primary things we do. Again, from a biblical model, which we're looking at in Christ. Let's also look at it in Ezra. And uh, if you would wish to join me there, let's turn to the book of Ezra. Ezra was leading a revival. He was leading a restoration of God's plan and purpose. And so he came to Jerusalem, helped with the rebuilding of the wall and the rebuilding of the temple. But there was also the restoration and rebuilding of, the, of a godly society. If we turn to chapter 10, verse 12, the scene here is that the people have not followed the law of God, and it was in reference to these uh, leaders uh, marrying wives who were from pagan culture. And so he challenges them to repent of that. It's a challenging situation, 
as you can well feel. So let's begin with verse 7. Then a proclamation was made throughout Judah and Jerusalem that all the exiles should come to Jerusalem. Those who failed to come within three days would, if the leaders and elders decided, forfeit all their property and be expelled from the assembly of the exiles. Within three days, all the people of Judah and Benjamin had gathered in Jerusalem. This took place on December 19, and all the people were sitting in the square before the temple of God. They were trembling be both because of the seriousness of the matter and because it was raining. Then Ezra the priest stood and said to them, you have committed a terrible sin. By marrying pagan women, you have increased Israel's guilt. So now, confess your sin to the Lord, the God of your ancestors, and do what he demands. So Ezra as a leader is calling people to respond to God. Separate yourselves from the people of this land and from these pagan women. Now, can you imagine undoing marriages? I mean, this is, this is big. Then the whole, verse 12, then the whole assembly raised their voices and answered, yes, you are right. We must do as you say. Now that is powerful leadership. When people respond when all the people respond with a resounding yes. What was it about Ezra's leadership that made such a dramatic response in such a difficult situation possible? Let's turn to chapter 7 of Ezra, verse 10. We'll start with verse 8 to set the tone. Again, Ezra 7, verse 8. It, Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in August of that year. He had arranged to leave Babylon on April 8, the first day of the new year, and he arrived at Jerusalem on August the 4th. That's a long trip. So when... Um, Four months journey. It's a long trip. For the gracious hand of his God was on him. God's favor was on him. This was because Ezra had determined to study and obey the law of the Lord and to teach these decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. So he studied. He observed it himself, and he taught it to the people. In other words, by establishing what was true and reminding people of God's law, people were challenged to respond, and the culture was being restored to what it had originally been. That's powerful leadership. So, the anointing on him 
from study of the word and practice of the word himself and God's calling on his life, that was so powerful to really change the culture where these people were living because their culture had drifted away from what God had established. Let's take some time at our table and at your table, if you would discuss what are some values, that is, what is something that's very important about living a life of yes? Now we have two concepts, basically. We have the concept of Matthew 26, 39, where Jesus is surrendering or yielding or embracing a difficult task. And then we have um, the sense of yes being agreement between heaven and earth, which we'll explore later this weekend. So surrender and agreement are two ways that we can say yes in difficult situations. So as leaders, thinking of our responsibility, the people that we care about, at your table, would you discuss what are values or convictions that are so important we cannot compromise them when it comes to living a culture of yes? So would someone feed back to me what we're going to do to see if I'm communicating it clearly? Raise your hand, I'll give you a mic, and you can tell me what we're going to do. Thank you, Shannon. Okay. So we're going to discuss as a table the values of um, what we feel like are values of the culture of yes and what we feel like are important values to pass down into that are our our number ones and our number twos that we cannot let slide and we cannot let um, we cannot lose them from one generation to the next. And we got two key words. What are the two key words? Surrender and agree. Father, we want to hear your wisdom in this, and so we ask that you would enable us in our uh, discernment at each table to recognize and receive your insight as to how to express these things that are important to you and therefore they're important to us. Thank you so much for your spirit to guide us. Amen. See if you can write a sentence or at least jot down a phrase that captures the importance of in our culture, to have a culture of yes. I encourage you to see if you can come up with a um, couple sentences that capture the convictions you're talking about. And write those on, have someone write those for your table, which is what you're doing, and then we'll share them. Thank you, let's, let's begin sharing Someone from your table, just raise your hand. I'll bring the mic to you.
And if you would share a statement of value, of conviction, of what is important. Um, you don't need to apologize first. You don't need to say it's not, we're not finished. Just say the truth that you would like to present from your table as a value. Um, our table came up with persevering in the presence of the Lord, trusting that he values us and others enough to share his truths as we listen to his word, embrace change, and preserve the unity of the body of Christ. Sounds like scripture to me. Thank you. Excellent. Another table ready? That's the, well, one of the infallible things that we came up with, and we obviously didn't go very far, is that the Word of God is infallible. That we have to uh, say, it's, that's it. That's the, what it says, it says. And that sin is sin. And it disrupts our relationship with Him, with God. And that God designed us to be in relationship with him, not living separate lives, but to be continually in relationship with him. Those sound like three very good assumptions. That's all. Can you write assumptions on your paper? You did. Okay, good. Okay, we kind of combined theirs kind of into a sentence here. Um, living an authentic, presence-based life relying on the uncompromising truth of God, we value others above ourselves and love with a genuine love. Thank you so much. Um, we said that you must be filled with the Spirit and being poured into before you can pour out, holding a conviction and a trust in foundational truths. Then humbly listen, focus on a clear vision, sacrifice, and follow through with no regrets. Could you read that again? You've combined uh, quite a few things so we can, we can hear it. Uh, let's welcome our friend from Liberia. Um, you must first be filled with the Spirit, allowing yourself to be poured into, hold a conviction and a trust in the Lord and foundational truths. Then we humbly listen, focus on that clear vision, sacrifice, and then you also have to follow through daily with that yes, with no regrets. That sounds like three good statements. I would encourage you to separate them out. Three good statements. It's all good. We value living a life of love for and surrendered obedience to his word. And? We have three good statements. Uh, listening to the Holy Spirit and uh, saying yes to the guidance of, of 
leading of the Holy Spirit. The spending time in the truth of the word and passing that down to the next generation and servanthood, um, being servant leaders and the ministry of Christ is a body-wide activity, not a, just the one on, not just one, it's the whole body. Very good. There's three things. We'll pick up with one of those with some more discussion. Thank you. I think ours is, um, as a leaders, we are representing Jesus to the people that are actually looking uh, up to us, I guess, and uh, um, do all that we do as unto the Lord, and uh, let our assumptions be a Bible which is our plumb line, and through that, let our uh, artifacts show that we are following that plumb line and uh, uh, do everything that we do as unto the Lord and not to be um, hypocrites and uh, and not the hearers only. So I guess that would be ours is just uh, a be a, a people who not just to say but to actually show through our words that our plumb line is levels with our artifacts. You've got about four good things there. Great. So if you can separate them into four. And we have another table yet. Knowing that God is trustworthy as we surrender having that confidence in God. Very good. And <laughs> um, so the sentence they came up with is trusting God enough to daily submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And our assumptions are that the word is true and that God is good. The the assumptions are that the word is true and that God is good. Thank you. If you could hand those in, we'll work with that over the weekend uh, because there's, there are a lot of clear statements of what is important in the way we live and minister. <clears throat> so we established before that... Um, Managing culture is one of the primary responsibilities of leaders. So we need to step back and look over our sphere of influence and check, are we living according to what we're saying we believe and what we're saying is important? <clears throat> Secondly, a culture of yes is established by the character of Christ. We've highlighted that, again, from the presence and posture of Christ. That's where we draw from, but also approaching people's lives as Christ in you, the hope of glory, as drawing life from Christ, not trying to act like Christ. There's a big difference there. Christ in us, Christ in us. 
his anointing, his character, his presence. The kind of leadership that some of you highlighted in saying servant leadership, we can look at it in terms of this is the attitude of putting others above ourselves. Another term for this is an outward mindset. Uh, recently, Marion and I have been part of a group where we read a book on the outward mindset. And it's basically saying the same thing of putting the needs of others and identifying with their challenges and helping them with theirs rather than using those people to meet our needs and our goals. So we're drawing people, we're drawing people toward a goal rather than pushing them toward what we want them to do. Uh, let's look more closely at surrender since that's a key word here. Actually, uh, let's see what we think now and see what the Holy Spirit's showing us among us. How would you describe what surrender is? Submission. Letting go. Yielding. Total trust, Acceptance. accepting, willingness. willingness, notice no one said giving up, congratulations, <laughs> because what Jesus was doing in the garden was not giving up, he was giving over, he was giving of himself to something, rather than doing it on his own, he was giving it over to the Father. He was giving himself to the Father's will. It's the idea of handing over to an authority. So in other words, it's not doing nothing, it's not giving up so that nothing happens, it's joining to one who is greater or joining to the authority of another in order to accomplish what God wants done. So let's surrender. Which is, yes. Yeah. Thank you, well said. Culture is transformed by a leader who intercedes, models, and calls others to follow. Culture is transformed by a leader who intercedes, models, and calls others to follow. That's what we saw in Ezra. When he saw the condition of the people, he fasted, he mourned, he prostrated himself because of the situation. He identified with it so fully 
as he interceded on behalf of that. Then he modeled what the law was that he had studied, and he called people, that's a courageous call, to change marital vows in the way that they were handled at that time. That is a big challenge. As leaders, we can call people to difficult and large steps of faith for them if we have interceded, identified with it, and have that heart passion for them to be in agreement, in alignment with God's will. Whom do you have as a leader that you can share with who will bear with you when you're facing a difficult decision? That's all Jesus was asking his disciples to be. Would you be there with me? Is there someone you can go to and share the challenges of leadership with so that you can surrender, embrace, and obediently, joyfully agree with God's will for what you're called to do? The other part of that question is, Let's be alert to those that we can do that for. How can we be with or bear with one another when another leader, those that we either oversee or are peers with, for their support as they face the challenge God has put before them? Our role is not to take away the difficulty of choices. Our role is to stand with people and believe they can make the right choice. When Jesus said, take up your cross daily, can we now fit that into our situation of saying yes? As he faced the cross, he, by the nature of the divine nature and his love for the Father, his towardness toward the Father, he chose to bear the difficulties and the despicable uh, ugliness of that cross. When he says to us, take up your cross daily, that's what we're doing. We're embracing, um, we're embracing his grace to face those difficult choices and to make them in a way that aligns our situation, aligns our group, aligns our own hearts with the Lord.
let's spend a little more time at our tables sharing what you're hearing personally as a leader I'm hearing that saying yes and creating a culture of yes is calling me to fill in the blank again to cultivate a culture of yes in the area that I lead this is what I'm hearing the Lord is saying to me this evening could someone feed that back to me so I'm sure I'm communicating Thank you. Let's see if I got it across. We're to discuss at our tables what we believe the Lord is saying to us um, to step into the, the culture of yes. What is what's the Lord actually speaking to each one of us and share that at the table? As a leader at the body here. Okay. What adjustment, what step, what truth are you embracing as a leader to cultivate a culture of yes in your area of responsibility? Thank you for your discussion. Let's draw our attention together again. Uh, if not everyone has gotten around uh, to share in your table because tables are different sizes, uh, I apologize for that. Uh, perhaps you can share uh, after we conclude here. Listen to this in Colossians 1, 24 to 29, in light of the potential that we have as we lead people in the presence of Christ and lead them to aligning with what God is saying to them. Paul put it this way in Colossians 1, 24 to 29. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles as well. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect or mature in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. His goal is for people to be filled with Christ, which we also read then in Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 13 and 14. 
so familiar to us, but fits right in with creating a culture of yes. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. A culture of yes is embracing the character of Christ in his posture toward the Father. A culture of yes is embracing the guidance of the Spirit who discloses to us that which is of Christ. A culture of yes is characterized by towardness, being for others, by oneness, in our agreement with God and our harmony here on earth, in our agreement in prayer. A culture of yes is celebrating that we get to do what God wants done. Think of obedience as a celebration. I found out what God wants done, so now I can do that. I found out what God wants done. I can do it. Let's change our culture of obedience from, oh well, God made me do it. That's actually a statement of self-focus. God really had to work hard on me. You know, I'm really, I'm really tough to get God, for God to get me to do something. I see some pride leaking out there. Humility is a confident awareness of who we are and our readiness to act accordingly. Not putting ourselves above others or depreciating our value before others. And again, I'd like to touch this. When we make a distinction to say, God's thoughts are not our thoughts, we need to recognize that, tr that statement comes from Isaiah where he's addressing people who are not following God. The more mature we become, the more of Christ that is filling us and shaping us, the more our thoughts are godly thoughts. So when we make that distinction, we're actually, again, we can be calling attention to ourselves rather than aligning and being toward God in that moment. So it is appropriate to realize God knows more about this situation than I do. That's clear. <laughs> but let's not delay our yes What I have found helpful is when I get an impression of what to do, I simply ask the Lord, are you saying for me to do so-and-so? If I get the same impression, 
I'm committed to do that. As compared to saying, well, is this God or is this me? Now, I realize there is God's will, Satan's intentions, and our will. But in yielding to Christ, we progressively become more and more Christ followers and filled up to the fullness of Christ. Let's think of ourselves and encouraging our people that way. So culture of yes is characterized by towardness, oneness, fullness, agreement, and then empowering others to do what God is calling them to do. It's wonderful that we can embrace these attitudes. Let's lead our people into a yes-mindedness, a yes-mindedness. And where there's a challenge to change in their life, that's encouraging them to hand over to God what they are facing. That is a constructive surrender. Again, let's pray. Father, thank you for these truths on which we could meditate and consider. We thank you for the Holy Spirit speaking to us in our hearts the personal application of these things. As we enter into this weekend and say this word over and over, we pray that it would get bigger and bigger and enlarge our understanding. We thank you that it's not going to be a mantra. It's going to be a word of praise and honor and power, and direction, and thrust us forward in your kingdom service. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Please join us online at heritagefellowship.us or in person in Jefferson City, Tennessee, as we encounter God, touch lives, and impact nations.